Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. My, I remember as a boy, back when they used to have those big vinyl records. How many of you remember those big vinyl? That's an old Andre Crouch song right there, boy. I remember playing that record as a kid. You can just feel the presence of the Lord. There's something about just showing appreciation to the Lord for the price that was paid on Calvary that just brings you into His presence. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know why Jesus loved me, but I'm so glad He did. Amen. How many of you can raise your hand and say, that is your testimony this morning? I don't know why He loved me, but I'm glad He did. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And then as a boy, I say a boy, I guess I had gotten up into junior high and maybe even high school at that point, but I remember when they started doing uh, Christian concerts at Disney World called uh, Night of Joy, where they, I think they believe, I believe they still do them, I just haven't gone in a while because I haven't been young in a while, but uh, <laughs> I can remember as a teenager when they started uh, having those Night of Joy um, concerts where they had all Christian groups come into the park and they would uh, close down the parks every one now. And, of course, we all love to go to that. And I remember they had Richard Smallwood set up in front of the castle. And there were people all down Main Street, just thousands of Christians, all around that castle, that, that court area right there. And I remember uh, Richard Smallwell, uh, Smallwood singing, uh, I think it's another old Andre Crouch song, Jesus is the answer for the world today. You remember that one, too? Oh, there was something about those old spirituals. My. Boy, he just had a keyboard, Richard Smallwood. He was, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And man, people all down that main street, boy, started singing. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Woo, hallelujah. I feel like I got a witness in the house today. Jesus is the answer. Boy, he said, I feel like we're in church. He said, just take the hand of your neighbor. I mean, here we all were, strangers in Disney World. And boy, everybody took each other's hand and started singing. So I remember that it had a big impact on me because I was a teenager. And going to public school, I always felt like I was an alien on another planet, you know, trying to live for God in a, in a secular, carnal world. But I just got a glimpse just for a moment of what heaven's going to be like. Because you're not even going to be able to count the people, but it's going to be praise, hallelujah, all down those streets of gold. Jesus is the answer. I'm so glad I can tell you, several decades later, he's still the answer, hallelujah. Jesus is still the answer. Amen. I turn your attention this morning to Psalms chapter 91. And we begin reading in verse 5, Psalms chapter 91 and verse 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth, wasteth at noonday. 
A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Hallelujah. What a beautiful passage of scripture about the promises of God to keep every one of his children. What a mighty God we serve. I'd like to speak for just a few moments this morning and I know I won't I won't be able to finish all this in this service but I will finish it in our evening service at 6:30. But I want to talk to you today on the subject of the invisible enemy. The invisible enemy. Would you bow your heads and let us pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your people that have made sacrifices to gather in your house today and to join their voices and their faith and their worship of you and that it would come together, Lord, in a harmony and a concophony of praise and exaltation unto you. I thank you, Lord, for this atmosphere. Most of all, Lord, I'm so thankful that we feel your presence. And we know we're not just involved in some exercise of futility. But, Lord, we have come into your house with one purpose, and that is to declare your word, to declare truth, to respond to truth, to exalt the name of Jesus. And that our minds and our hearts, Lord, would be united together to lift up the name of Jesus on high. I pray, Lord, that your people would not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word also, and that we would be changed by your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The enemy that you and I face every day is not necessarily wearing a red cape and carrying around a little pitchfork. The invisible enemy that each of us face that really is an uninvited guest in all of our homes and even in our minds is fear. We live in a fear-ridden world. There's hardly an event in life which has not the potential to frighten us. We're afraid of the dark. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid of death. If we were honest with ourselves, we would have to confess that we were afraid not only of our enemies and our friends, but even of ourselves. Fear seems to be the climate in which we live, the atmosphere that we breathe, and the very language that we speak. Some years ago, a leading New York newspaper published a number of articles on the mental fitness of New Yorkers. In one of the most penetrating and alarming articles of this series, 
the writer pointed out that after an eight-year study by a five-man team based at New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center, it was established that only one out of five is mentally well. One out of four is so psychologically disturbed as to be impaired in his or her social relations. The rest have some symptoms of psychological illness, but they do not interfere with their lives. And in case this analysis might be thought to relate to New York City alone, the researchers were quick to add that the frequency of symptoms does not appear to differ much from other parts of the United States. Reading these reports makes it evident that the basic problem in most instances was that of fear. Fear of not achieving the desired social status. Fear of failing in business. Fear of divorce. Fear of rejection. Fear of advancing age. Fear of a nuclear war. The fear business, all of us would agree, starts very young. I know for myself, when I was just a child, I was afraid to sleep by myself at night. I would sneak into my sister's room and sleep under her bed where her board games were all stored. I slept many a night with a Monopoly game and shoots and ladders and all of those old board games. Sorry and all of those. Those were my companions at night. And then as a boy, we had, my family and I, we had an accident on a sailboat in the Indian River where the mast broke in half and the, the sailboat flipped over in the Indian River. And I was very young and I had been cold and so I had on my dad's t-shirt. My arms and my knees were up in it. And so we were, you know, out there in the middle of the river and the mast broke and the thing flipped upside down and I was like in a straitjacket because I had balled up inside that big t-shirt of my dad and, and just I can remember you know how your mind just takes pictures I can remember just going like a rock right to the bottom of the Indian River and seeing the mud and the fish and thinking this must be what death looks like and just going like a rock but somehow my mother saw me going down and she reached over and went down and scooped me up out of the water and saved my life. She's a lot like the Lord. She not only gave me life, she saved me again after she gave me life. You know, not only does the Lord give you life, but then he saves you, hallelujah. And she scooped me out of that Indian River and that thing was upside down, and we hung on to those pontoons that were still afloat until it was a catamaran-type sailboat, and we hung on to that until we were rescued. But after that, boy, I had a fear. I didn't even want to go over Melbourne Causeway. The family had to kind of sneak it by me that we were even headed to the bridge. We'd be going down US-1, and all of a sudden, we'd take a hard ride, and we'd be going over Melbourne Causeway. I'd say, hey, where are we going? They said, we're going over the bridge. I'm like, stop it, let me out. 
I mean, I didn't even want to be on the bridge. I can remember my, my mom and dad saying, look, you're going to be living around water all your life. You've got to face your fear and deal with it. And I said, well, how do we do that? And they said, well, we're going to take you to swimming lessons. So me and my sister and Tim Jenkins all went to swimming lessons. This is many, many moons ago now, y'all. I'm going back to the 70s. And we went to swimming lessons, and they start you out in the shallow end. But fear is something that we all deal with. And then as you grow up, you, you think you're over it. You think you've conquered it. But then stuff comes back at you, like Brother Easter and I were sharing stories about being on the evangelistic field. He was telling me great stories, and I was telling him some of my stories. And I remembered about that situation that I had at one time when I was preaching in Alabama. The pastor said, do you want to stay at a hotel or at my house? I said, well, whatever's easiest for you. So I'd never had gone to the church. I didn't know anything about the situation. I had been doing the youth camp, and the pastor invited me, so I went up there. And uh, he said, okay, just follow me. You can stay with us. So we went to a funeral home. And I said, what are we stopping here for? You got to visit somebody? He said, no, this is where I live. I said, in the funeral home? He said, yeah. He said, this is my job, you know, during the day. I said, well, that's kind of a conflict of interest. At night at church, you're trying to raise the dead, and during the day, you're trying to bury the dead. <laughs> he didn't think that was very funny, but we walked around through the the uh, cemetery, or the, the funeral home, and he said, uh, you want to go get your bags? And I said, you're serious, aren't you? And uh, he said, yeah, you know, you can be staying here, and so I said, okay, so I got all my bags, and I thought we would carry them to his apartment, but we were carrying them through the funeral home, and um, we'd open one door, and there'd be all caskets in there, and I'd say, you know, is there anybody dead in here right now? And he'd say, no. I said, well, do you expect anybody? <laughs> and he'd say, no, but you know, you never know. And uh, so I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. And uh, so I'm carrying my bags through that funeral home. It's always dark, you know, and real foreboding and kind of creepy, you know, and uh, finally I'm like, where's your apartment? He said, well, it, it's way over on the other side of the funeral home. I said, well, what are we doing over here then? He said, well, I'm going to take you to where you're staying. And I said, I thought I was staying where you're staying. He said, we got a special room for you. And he opened the door, and when he opened the door, he said, this is your room. He looked like he was taking a lot of pleasure in this. <laughs> and he opened the door, and there was this big metal table that was in there. And, and there were like all of these kind of hoses and stuff that was all up above it. And he said, this is where you're staying. I said, where on that table? And um, he said, no. And he went and opened the closet door and reached in there and popped open a cot. Uh, kind of one of them, you know, old army cots that just sort of, you know, breaks open. And he said, this is where you'll stay. And he plopped that down. And I said, what exactly is this room used for? He said, this is the formaldehyde machine. Right when somebody dies, they bring them in here and put them on that table. And those hoses where they hook the formaldehyde in there. And they, they run all that through there. And, and uh, this over here, he said, is the actuary rod which they ram right into you and drains all your waste. I said, you know, I really don't need to know anything else. I'm good. He said, here's your cot. And I said, okay. 
Um, all right, this is going to be interesting. And so I was like, you know, are we going to go over and hang out at your place for a little while? I didn't even want to stay in the room by myself. He said, well, my family, they're already asleep and everything. He said, I'll, I'll come and get you in the morning. I said, okay. Boom, the door shut. And it was me in the formaldehyde machine. I walked around that table, looked at them hoses, my eyes. And you know how it is, your mind will start running away with all kinds of things. And I thought, oh, God. I got all my little cot together, got my clothes out of the suitcase. So I was laying in bed there about 2 in the morning. Boy, I was wide awake. My eyes were like silver dollars. And you know, when a, a room is dark, just the way those hoses hung over, it looked like a monster was in that. And I was like, now come on, David. You're a grown man. You got no sister's room you can go hide in. You got to deal with this. So boy, I said, okay, Lord. Whew. Yay, though I walk. Through the funeral home of death, I will fear no evil. And at about 2.15, the doors come flying open. People coming in, flipping on lights. They were scared to see me as I was to see them. I said, hey, what are y'all doing? They're like, who are you? I said, I'm the evangelist. They said, the what? I said, the evangelist. They said, well, you, you're not supposed to be in here. You better get out of here. And I said, well, I'm, I'm with, uh, the pastor's name was Kenny Rogers. I'll never forget. <laughs> Kenny Rogers was his name. And still is, I'm sure. But, uh. I said, I, I'm with Kenny Rogers. And they said, well, he, he lives around on the other side. I said, I know. That's where I wanted to stay, but he put me in here. Boy, I'm trying to get all my covers covered up. And, and boy, they come in with this old guy that did and plop him up there. Pow, set him down there. Stuck that actuary rod in there and there, all the stuff started. And I'm like, wow, whoa. They said, we don't have time, sir. They had all these little white jackets and stuff. They said, you got, I'm grabbing all my suits and stuff. I'm trying to get out of there. And I mean... I left half my stuff. I was half awake. And I'm telling you what, I'm running through that funeral home. Kenny Rogers! I'm going down hallways. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs, Brother Rogers! Opening door, trying to figure out where he lives. My goodness, you talk about scared to death. I finally find his little apartment. Knock on the door. Nobody comes to the door. Finally. I'm able to wake up somebody. He's half asleep, you know, and I tell him what happened. I said, they brought a dead guy in while I was sleeping over there. He's like, really? I'm like, yes, really. They got him hooked up right now. He said, well, just sleep here on the, on the, on the, on the couch where the little apartment they lived, the efficiency was where the couch, the living room, and the, and the dining room, and the kitchen, it was all one room, you know. And uh, the bed, they had two bedrooms, and they were, the kids slept in one, they slept in the other, and they were separate rooms. But everything else was all together. He said, well, just sleep here on the couch. So I'm laying on the couch. Boy, my heart's beating 150 miles an hour. And I'm like, 
So I finally fall asleep probably somewhere around 3.30 or so. Then I wake up. And you know how you sometimes wake up and you're kind of half awake? And his kids are, and, and I'm like, I can't, I'm trying to put together all that happened in the night. Was it a dream? Was that reality? I'm trying to put all this together, and my mind is like a fluorescent light bulb. You know how it flickers a few times before it comes to full strength? And I'm like, is this real, or what? where am I at? And, you know, find a happy place, find a happy place, you know. And I'm trying to, and I can, and the kids are eating cereal at the dining room table, and the phone rings, and the phone, and they're like, who are you looking for, Dad? And the kids say this, and I'm not kidding. The kids say, Dad's not here, he's dead. <laughs> feel like I'm like with the Adams family or something. <laughs> so then the pastor comes in, you know, and he says, hey, did you sleep okay on the couch? I said, I slept better here. We didn't have any interruptions. And he said, do you notice the couch matches the love seat? And I said, um, no, I didn't notice, but yeah. It does. Very nice. And he said, we got a deal on it because he said, we make our own caskets here, and this is the material that's left over. I said, you know about that motel we were talking about? <laughs> oh. Fear. You know, the, the strange thing about fear is that it doesn't always announce itself. It just sort of sneaks up on you sometimes. I love the Bible because it just gives you an answer to everything. And how comforting is it then to turn to Psalms 91 and read the Bible and to read these unqualified words like, you will not be afraid of the terror by night. Boy, I wish I knew that verse at six and seven years old. Not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. I believe that terror by night is the unknown. Most of the times, the things that we are most fearful of are the unknowns. The fear of what could be. The fear of being ambushed. The arrow that flies by day, I believe, is an attack. It's, it's an attack that is relentless. As I begin to read through these verses in Psalms 91 and think about how all of us deal with some kind of fear. And yet the scripture has the solution. I believe there are several things that I can point out to you from biblical principles that will give you a formula for how you and I can overcome every fear through the power of God. The very first thing that you have to do is that you have to identify the enemy. You've got to identify the enemy. Half the battle is recognizing him for who he is. Verse 13 says this, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. Now the adder is commonly referred to in Scripture as a snake. But when you go into this and you dive a little deeper into this passage of Scripture, it's not just a snake, but is specifically a cobra snake. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. 
I thought, now this is interesting. The lion, the dragon, and the cobra. When you look at this dragon and you really sort of dive into what this specifically refers to, one translation even refers to the dragon as a sea monster. So we have these three analogies from Scripture. A lion, a cobra, and a dragon. I believe that the lion represents the undisguised fear. There are some fears that are undisguised. You just look at them and know they're trouble. That's what the lion is. Because the lion is an animal that never tries to disguise itself. Its form, its roar, its destructive power can never be mistaken. In fact, Peter even warned us in the book that bears his name that your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In this vivid and figurative language, we have the picture of the undisguised fear that terrorizes people like you and me. Anything that spells death frightens young and old. In fact, the Bible calls death in Job 18 as the king of terrors. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you are. Death is still a sobering thought. And it is an equalizer of all people. It doesn't matter what color your skin. It don't matter your socioeconomic level. It don't matter your level of education. Death eventually comes knocking at every single person's door. My dad's been taking me around to cemeteries to find a place to buy lots. I don't know how many cemeteries we've been to. Must be five. Now I'll just tell you straight up. I hadn't found a one of them I liked. <laughs> I'm yet to find a place to say, that's where I want to be. I'm finding something wrong with every place I go. I don't like that. I don't like this. That one's got railroad tracks. That one's too low. That one's got water. That one's all here. That's there. And, da -da -da -da, and all over the place. We even went down to Sebastian. And we're standing out there and we're wondering if there's anybody around that's alive that we can talk to. And this guy comes by on a riding lawnmower. And we're like, hey! We thought maybe he's like the caretaker. He rides over, turns the, the mower off. What can I help you with? My dad said, I won't, we won't talk to you about... Uh, being, uh, be, being buried here in this cemetery, is there you know, somebody we can talk to? He said, are you a Civil War veteran? My dad said, what are you, some kind of a comedian? <laughs> he said, well, where you're standing is where Civil War veterans have been buried. You're not going to be buried there. We're like, not this very spot. We're talking about the cemetery as a whole. He took us around a little bit, and we were like, nah, we don't want to be buried there either. We've gone up and down this coast, and I'll just tell you right now, the more I visit cemeteries, the more convinced I am we need to pray till the rapture takes place. I know the dead in Christ will rise first. I'm 
willing to let them go first. Death is one of those things that are out there ahead of us. We know about it, but we really don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And what happens when you die? We believe we know from Scripture, but it's still the unknown, and it's still fearful. It may be the threat of war. It may be the discovery of some foul disease, the news, that you have something in your body. That is going to slowly work its way through. Something that's deadly. Could be the news of an accident. It could be a a hundred thousand different kinds of things. But they're fears that are undisguised. We know them to be real. We can hear their roar. We can see their form. We can sense their danger. Just advancing age. Getting older roars doesn't it your bones start to hurt and when you get older you can injure yourself just by sleeping you wake up in the morning and say I think I threw my shoulder out what were you doing I was laying on a mattress You can hurt yourself not doing anything but breathing. And all of a sudden, oh, what was that? That's one of those undisguised fears. That's one of them lions that just walks up to you and goes, But in the last analysis, What we really fear is not death so much as what happens after death. Because unless we have made our peace with God, the Bible tells us and our heart confirms it that judgment awaits us. And the Word of God, the divine record says, it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. That's that lion. But then we have the unexpected fear. You will tread upon the cobra. In the scriptures and in natural life, the serpent illustrates the unexpected fear. That snake that attacks. It rarely gives a warning. Usually strikes from some sort of a hidden place. The Bible says, whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Brother Easter our evangelist last week was staying at our house and he walked out of the front door and he was taking pictures and he was going to send them to his wife, you know, of the yard and he was taking pictures of the hedges. And while he was taking pictures of the hedges, little black snake just kind of got right up out of the hedge and just showed its head. He was like, oh, this is beautiful. Ah, that's a snake! <laughs> We're like, oh, that's just a black snake. He won't hurt you none. And nobody, nobody in their right mind likes snakes. 
People that got pet snakes got something wrong with them. But this life, this journey has unexpected things that hit us. We were just enjoying life. We just started out with optimism and cheerfulness. Only to find that there was some serpent with its poisonous sting. It attacked us from the most unexpected source and in the most unexpected manner. Inflaming our minds with doubt. Paralyzing our spirits with despair. We weren't expecting it, but it's real nonetheless. So you got the roaring lion and you got the subtle snake, but then you get the unfounded fear. And the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. From a study of the other biblical mentions of the dragon, it would appear that this creature is an intended figment of our imagination. No one has ever seen a dragon. And many people, perhaps you are one of them, are more afraid of the unfounded and unknown than we are of the roaring lion and the subtle snake. People have come to me and shared their fears of what has never happened or is unlikely to happen. And their language is something along the lines of, I'm so bewildered I cannot hear, so terrified I cannot see. My mind reels, horror overwhelms me. The twilight I long for has turned me into trembling, which is biblical language, but nonetheless expresses the dragon, the unfounded fear. It's not logical, it, but it's a fear nonetheless. Where did it come from? I don't know, but it's a fear. It is therefore, I believe, a good thing at times to ask ourselves, of what are we really afraid? Do our fears actually exist, or is it that we have allowed our imaginations to run riot? It is important to recognize that fear is faith in reverse. Faith operates in the realm of the positive, blesses and, and makes us a blessing. Whereas fear operates in the realm of the negative and disturbs, depresses, and ultimately destroys. Strange fears possess the souls of many. No man is free from them at all on his own. Dr. Samuel Johnson was very careful not to enter a room with his left foot forward. If by any chance he did so, he would immediately step back and re-enter with his right foot first. He was terribly afraid of death too and would not allow it to be mentioned in his presence. Julius Caesar, to whom the shouts of thousands of the enemy were but sweet music, was mortally afraid of the sound of thunder. And always wanted to get underground to escape the dreadful noise. I should have named my dog Julius Caesar. Because there's something about dogs don't like the sound of thunder either. And they try to get down under the bed. Maurice de Saxe, famed French marshal of the 18th century who loved to look upon the ranks of opposing armies, fled in terror at the sight of a cat. A house cat. Peter the great, czar of Russia, could scarcely be persuaded to cross a bridge. I know how you feel, Peter the great. Didn't know we had so much in common. Didn't even want to cross a bridge. 
And whenever he placed his foot on one, he would cry out for fear. Peter the Great. The number 13 is considered by some an unlucky number. The breaking of glass, as it were, is a harbinger of misfortune for some. Some fishermen on their way to their boats refuse to sail if they meet either a cat or a woman. Superstitious fears with no rational foundation, whatever. It puts people in bondage. It is a spirit, and many times we may know what the fear is, but we don't know how to be free from the fear. Romans 8 says it this way. We have not received the the spirit of bondage again to fear, which lets me know that there is a spirit behind fear. That's why it's the invisible enemy. It may be based on circumstances. It may be based on life experiences. But it may be based on absolutely nothing but our imagination. But nonetheless, it's an invisible enemy. And part of the way that you and I can be free from fear is to identify the fear the enemy, even though it is invisible. This is the spirit of bondage, something that holds us in a paralyzed place that we cannot get free from. But then the Word of God, which, ladies and gentlemen, is where the solution is, gives us this. We have not received the spirit of bondage to get into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba Father, which means Daddy. Ladies and gentlemen, identifying the enemy is not complete without identifying the defender. You can identify the attacker, but you must also identify your defender. And the spirit of adoption is when we receive the spirit of our heavenly father. And Brother Richie said it this morning in the Bible lesson. Perfect love casteth out all fear. Doesn't matter what we're afraid of. If we can get a visual in our mind that our heavenly father is right by our side. That we can cry, Abba, Father. That this that we read in Psalms 91, and my time is fleeing, so I'm going to have to finish this tonight. But what we read about in Psalms 91 is not just for you and I, but it was a prophecy that went all the way back to earlier in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3 that said that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. It was a prophecy that Jesus Christ, hallelujah, had already conquered every fear. So ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to conquer all your fears on your own. But if you can get into his presence, if you can surround yourself in the habitation of the Holy One, if you can say, Lord, I've lived with a human spirit, but I'm ready for a Holy Spirit. I'm ready for my fears to be eradicated, and I'm ready to put on the whole armor of God.
so the question is, how do we do that? We've identified the enemy. How do we identify the defender? Psalms 91.5 says, Thou shalt not be afraid. Psalms 91.1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Ooh, boy, I got to thinking about that. Dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty. Sometimes shadows causes things to be, uh, you know, sort of disfigured and you can't really get a clear picture. You may be in daylight, but you may be headed the wrong way. But sometimes you thought, well, my goodness, a dark cloud just come over my life. I can't even see my way. I don't know which way to go, which way to take. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you today, it may not be a dark storm cloud. It may be the shadow of the Almighty where the Lord has just set down camp upon you and your family and your home and said do not fear I conquered death hell and the grave and so will you if you abide in me and my words abide in you stand to your feet I I know my time is gone but if Jesus Christ is the one who conquered this lion, this cobra, and this dragon. Fears that are undisguised. Fears that are unexpected. Fears that are unfounded. But fears nonetheless. The only way you and I are going to do it is that we've got to robe ourselves into Christ. How do we do that? The Bible makes it clear we have to put on Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 when they asked him, what must we do to be saved? He said, you must repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. You say, why does it have to be in the name of Jesus? We're going to talk about that tonight. The only way that this remission, this removal, this permanent discarding of all of your sins is applied to you and I is through the name of Jesus. At Calvary, your sins are forgiven. But in the baptism of his name, your sins are remitted or removed. Because it is only the name that can expunge the record and make you clear so that there's not even a trace, there's not even the smell of sin, there's not even a record in the holy books of heaven that only comes through the name of Jesus. The authority is only in the name of Jesus. And Romans 6.4 says, we must be buried in the baptism that we shall arise in newness of life. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be filled with that Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's the resurrection. That's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. When you repent of your sins, when you ask God to forgive you of every thought, every sin of your heart, every sin of your hands, and you say, Lord, I'm ready to be baptized in your name, that box right there is a baptism, believe it or not. That's where in the drama, John the Baptist 
is going to be baptized, and then one's going to come out of the crowd. Name Jesus. John's going to say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus is going to step down in there and baptize John. Because the Bible says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You're going to still deal with your flesh, but ladies and gentlemen, even though it may be something unexpected, unfounded, or undisguised, you can say, I have found my peace because I have been buried in his name and I have not just a human spirit but I've got a Holy Spirit hallelujah and I put it all in the hands of God and I hold on to the Word of God and I can make it through any stormy sea and I can make it through any dark night yes the enemy is invisible but I've come to give you good news. There's also the invisible power of Almighty God that surrounds us like a sea. I want to invite you this morning to step out of where you're standing. Come down to this front. Stand down here at this altar. Whatever fear you may be facing, whatever uncertainty has crowded the front door of your soul, why don't you bring it to the Lord right now? This is an opportunity for you to come down, stand at this altar. If you've never repented of your sins or said, Lord, I'm ready to be baptized in your precious name, we can baptize you this morning. Or maybe you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not going to be afraid any longer. I'm not going to stand on the perimeter any longer. I'm going to come down here right now. I'm going to come to this altar before I leave, and I'm going to lift up my hands and say, God, I've been trying to do this on my own, but I'm ready to rest in the presence of an almighty God that will fight every battle. Hallelujah. He is a God, hallelujah, that will not leave you comfortless, but he's going to send his spirit, and he's going to send his power. That's beautiful. People are coming. There's still room at this altar for you. Come on, make your way down. Just before you leave today, come down and stand at this altar. Now, those of you that are down here at this altar, why don't you lift your hands right now? And here's what I want you to say. Lord, I cast every fear upon you. I'm trying to fight my own battles. I have failed miserably. But Lord, I'm putting everything in your hands today. And I'm asking you, Lord, to fight for me. I don't want to be out of your will. I don't want to live my own life without your guidance. I want you, Lord, to steer this ship. I want you to direct my path. And I commit my life into your hands. I give every decision and every fear and, and, and every uncertainty, I give it unto you today. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart. Forgive me, Lord, and cleanse me in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, I'm asking for your spirit to fill me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. Let your Holy Spirit fill my mind and my heart. I rejoice in you today, Lord, for you are my strength and you are my song. You're not just my defender, but you're my encourager as well. And I feel strength in your presence today. 
Why don't you lift up your hands now and in your own voice? Why don't you commit, Lord, everything into the Lord's hands? That's it, all of you at the altar and those of you that are in the pew. I put it in your hands, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, Lord, I turn every fear, every uncertainty, every doubt. I put it all in your hands, Lord. Come on, the Lord wants to free your mind right now today. That's it, Lord, I put on the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. You are the defender. That's it. In the name of Jesus. 